Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're smack dab in the middle of a five-week look at the quotes of Christmas. And two weeks ago, we looked at the encouragement, do not be afraid. Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, and the shepherds all heard that. Last week, we were in John 1, that scripture, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us. But that, that verse ends with this um, definition of Jesus, shall we say, that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And we talked about how do you balance grace and truth? And most of us were more of a grace person or were more of a truth person, but Jesus was all in on grace and all in on truth, and we should be as well. Christmas Eve is going to be awesome this year. I'm so excited about Saturday night, 5 p.m. or 7 p.m., bring a friend. And that night, Adam is going to be sharing with us uh, the scripture that I read during communion that you're going to give him the name Jesus, the angel said to Joseph, because he will save his people from their sins. And then next Sunday morning, Christmas morning, uh, they're letting us know early that three to five inches of snow may fall, which would just be great for the December Sundays that we've had up to this point. But we'll be here at 9.30 a.m. talking about Emmanuel, the incarnation, God with us. But today we're looking at Luke chapter 1 and the angel Gabriel's encouragement to Mary that nothing is impossible with God. I've got a little ceramic placard that sits on my desk. And every day that I'm in the office, which is most days, I see that encouragement. Nothing is impossible with God. And yet, if we were being honest this morning, we probably all went through times in our lives where we had put God in a box. And we'd said, this is possible for God, but this is not possible for God. And we're going to look at Mary and her life this morning and see how she learned up close and personal truly that nothing is impossible with God. So I'm going to read um, a chunk from Luke chapter 1. The scripture is going to be up on the screen. You're welcome to follow along on the screen or to grab the pew Bible in front of you and turn to Luke chapter 1. Let's look at this account of the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. Beginning with verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child. You'll give birth to a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, and even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Three kind of just want you to see this in the text points, and then I want to get to this idea of how, how marvelous Mary really is. I love the encouragement Gabriel gives Mary, the Lord is with you. 
He's saying, you're not going through this all by yourself. And friends, I remind you today, that's a promise for you and for me as well. Jesus, great commission, going to all the world, baptize, teach. He says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And that's an encouragement to grab a hold of. Do not be afraid is, is the second encouragement that Mary hears. And we spent an entire Sunday morning two weeks ago talking about that. But do not miss that encouragement of Scripture to fear not, to do not be afraid. And, and life can be scary, let's be honest. Um, I, I was driving on the Kenny Hallsville blacktop Friday night. And I was afraid. I was really afraid that I was going to go in a ditch or maybe a creek or, you know, maybe fall under railroad tracks or something. I mean, fear is a real thing. And yet the encouragement right here, Gabriel, the Mary, and throughout all of Scripture, do not be afraid, fear not. And then I love this. Uh, the angel tells Mary, you have found favor with God. You are special. Put yourselves in the shoes of Mary, 15, 16-year-old girl, probably living in some sort of poverty, certainly not in a well-to-do home, just trying to do life, just trying to get by. And an angel shows up and says, guess what? I know you're a virgin, but you're going to have a, a baby. But don't sweat it. Don't worry. God's the father. Everything's going to be okay. I mean, you'd be freaking out. You'd be saying, how can I survive this? But you have found favor with God. And can I tell everyone that's here today, you have found favor with God. God loves you unconditionally. God loves you with incredible passion. Over and over and over again, as Jesus preached and then Paul came and preached and Peter and James, we see this message being driven home that God is absolutely in love with you. He desires to be in relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. So let's talk about Mary. Um, I have a lot of family that are Catholic, and maybe some of you grew up Catholic, and, and I don't know a lot about Catholic theology, but I know that, that the Catholic Church would look at Mary a little different than probably the Protestant Church, probably our church would. And, and I think in some instances, maybe there's even the encouragement to maybe worship Mary, to, to say that Mary was without sin. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think Mary was a very ordinary person. But here's the catch. I think the Protestant church, I think the independent Christian church has not done justice to how awesome Mary really was. I believe she was incredibly ordinary, but God used her in the most extraordinary of ways. And there's five reasons that you should walk away today and say, Mary's really marvelous. And number one, it's her spirit of enthusiasm. How many of us if we were 15 or 16 and just trying to get by in life and we find out that this is God's plan for our life, how many of us would be enthusiastic? Or how many of us would want to just go back to geometry class or cheerleading practice or basketball practice? Mary is enthusiastic. Look at verse 38. She says, may it be to me as you have said. She has enthusiasm in the most radical kind of way. Secondly, Mary has incredible humility incredible humility. She uses language like, I am the Lord's servant. Um, when we're going to get to worship at the end here, and we look at Mary's song, it's chalked full of humility. And that really goes against the grain for many in our country today. 
the idea of humility. We've seen it with our, our presidential election. We see it with probably almost any election. It's all about how awesome I am and why you should vote for me. And that's not a Republican thing. That's not a Democrat thing. That's not a Green Party thing. It's just the way it is. It's puff ourselves up and look at me and, oh, I've got all the answers. And yet, within the Christian faith, we see this encouragement over and over and over again to, to humble ourselves before the Lord. Mary really sets the example of humility. Um, praise God for the power plant resolution. And some of you, you're Exelon people, and, you know, it's an early Christmas present, and you're, you're beaming ear to ear. And anytime you hear hundreds of jobs are coming to DeWitt County, that's a great thing. But, you know, I was thinking this week, reflecting back to the first Tuesday night in June, when we gathered here in the sanctuary, it's like 95 degrees outside, and people walk through those doors. There's a lot of somber faces. There's a lot of discouragement. See, that was the day that the news came down that the power plant was going to close. And television stations showed up, and some people got interviewed, and Samuel led us in an incredible hour of prayer. And at the very heart of that was humility. God, this is bigger than us. This is bigger than any one person. We need you to act in a great and mighty way. And I believe God answered those prayers. Even when it looked like there was not any hope at all, I believe God answered those prayers. Mary had incredible humility. We should as well. Sacrifice. I mean, think back to pregnancy, ladies. I mean, think back to, to going through um, walking with that, that big sack, you know, what, what, 40 pounds. How many pounds do we gain? A whole bunch, right? And the ankles swell up and the sleepless nights. And, I mean, you know, it's rough on the women as well. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a tough time. Imagine making that journey not in a minivan or an air-conditioned or heated vehicle, but on a donkey. Imagine the sacrifice to your reputation that, that Mary would face and would taste for the rest of her life. Our culture today is a lot different than the first century world. And in the first century world, if you were a teenager out of wedlock and, and you came up with the, oh, yeah, God's the father line, I mean, a lot of people aren't buying it. And for the rest of your life, people are going to look at you differently. But Mary didn't care because she was God's instrument. She was being used by God. Courage, courage to boldly stand and proclaim the truth and then finally worship. I love what's called Mary's song. You may not realize it, but in Scripture, there are actually four different Christmas, we call them songs. And, and, and the shortest is the song of the angels in Luke chapter 2. But one of the longer songs is Mary's song. I want to just read this for you. This is Mary's reaction in learning that she's going to be a part of the greatest story ever told. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. But he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. She worships. She takes time to worship and praise the Lord. And so we come back to verse 37, this reminder that Mary received from the angel, nothing is impossible with God. So let me ask you again, have you put God in the box? Do you have a box and you're saying, God, you can do this, but God, you can't do this. Have have you ever been there? Someone comes to you and they, they, they use words like stage four cancer. Or they use words like the relationship is at a breaking point. And then they say those magic words. What are they? Will you pray for me? Will you pray for us? Will you pray for the situation? And of course you're going to say yes. I mean, who says no to something like that? But you pray the prayer and you just, you're just not really sure God's big enough to answer that prayer. You're not sure God's big enough to restore that hope. You pray, but you're just not sure. Gabriel to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. I want to give you three snapshots throughout Scripture, and I'm just giving you a snapshot. So like parents, grandparents, this would be like a great Sunday afternoon exercise when it's icy outside and all of that. You you could look at some of these more in depth. But in Romans chapter 4, Paul, writing to the church at Rome, talks about Abraham and and the great person of faith that Abraham was. See, Abraham received an unconditional covenant promise from the Lord. I'm going to make you a nation, give you a land, you're going to be a blessing for all time. And the only problem with that is he got to like his 90th birthday, he didn't have any children. So how's that going to play out? How are Abraham and Sarah, how's that line going to continue? And so the Lord came to him and said, guess what, old man? You're getting ready to have a baby. And Sarah, when she heard the news, what did she do? She laughed. She thought that was the funniest thing uh, she ever heard. And God was going to get the last laugh on that point. But Abraham believed it. Abraham said, you're God. You can do whatever you want. Verse 21 of Romans chapter 4 says, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abraham was fully persuaded. God could do what he'd promised he would do. Do you believe that God can do anything? Do you believe that God is great enough to do absolutely anything? Nothing is impossible with God. Look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is somewhat comical, not not really, but um, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, hey, check me out. I want to go to heaven. What must I do to be saved? And that's a good question to ask. And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Honor mom and dad, on and on and on. And the rich young ruler does what sometimes we want to do when we're feeling really good about ourselves spiritually. He puffed his chest out and he said, I've done all of those. I've kept all of them from the very beginning of my life. I've never violated one of the ten. And Jesus is like, well, man, congratulations on not being an adulterer. That's great. Congratulations on not being a murderer. That's great. One more thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. 
And the text tells us that the rich young ruler was really sad. See, he was all about not committing adultery and honoring mom and dad and not stealing and not murdering. But when you start dealing with his stuff, his palace, his possessions, that's just too much. And so he went away really sad. But Jesus' object lesson kind of backfired on him because the disciples and everyone around him are like, well, man, how can anyone be saved? This guy's kept all the commandments, but he won't sell his house, and he has no hope. How can anyone be saved? And look at verse 27. Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It's the lesson of Gabriel to Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. One more scripture, and then I'm going to wrap this, uh, this sermon up, and we're going to see a baptism in a little bit. In John chapter 14, it begins four chapters, 14, 15, 16, and 17, where Jesus really pours his heart out to his disciples. And there's some great quoting verses in there. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And some of us have memorized those verses. But there's a verse that is kind of a radical kind of verse. It's verse 12. And here's what verse 12 says. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to the Father. You're going to do what I've done, Jesus said. You're going to do greater things than I have done because I'm going to the Father. And so you start thinking, well, what's that mean? Does that mean we're going to turn water into wine this afternoon? Does that mean that I'm going to pray a prayer and the ice is going to be gone? Just vamoose, no more ice? Is that what Jesus is talking about? I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think Jesus is saying, I gave three years to try to change lives one person at a time. But I'm one person. And if all my disciples get serious about this thing we call ministry, literally the sky is the limit. We had 97 people in first service, and it looks to me like we have more than that second service. So I'm going to guesstimate 150. I, I don't know if that's right. Or not. Jim, Bob, what do you think, 150, maybe 140? Something along those lines. Do you realize how crazy radical this community would be changed if every person sitting in this sanctuary today committed to change one life this week, one life that's being lived without hope, one life that's being lived in poverty, one life that's being lived in despair, one life that's hopeless, just one person, not 10, not 100, not 1,000, one life. If the 140 of us each went out and said, we're going to change one different life this week, WAND would be coming to town. I'm telling you right now, WCIA would be coming to town. Newspapers would be coming to town saying, what's the deal? How are you making that? How did 140 lives get changed in one week? That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about sheer numbers of disciples sold out on mission, changing the world forever. Nothing is impossible with God. And so I'm almost done, but I want to leave you with three encouragements, God and the impossible. And some of us were here today, we've been a Christian our whole life. Some of us here today, we're brand new to the faith. 
Some of us here today, we're not a person of faith. We're here maybe because we had to be here. We're here because the kids sang earlier. And so maybe the takeaway, the three connects with each person differently. But challenge number one is this, take God out of the box. Because he's already out of the box. Stop saying to yourself, that can't happen. Stop saying to yourself that the answer to that prayer is not possible. Nothing is impossible with God. That doesn't mean go home and start praying, God, I want to be a millionaire by January 1st. Um, He's not probably going to answer that prayer. I, I wouldn't tell him to answer that prayer if you asked me to pray that prayer for you. But take God out of the box. Nothing is impossible with God. Number two, consider the impossible. What do I mean by that? One of the things that breaks my heart about 61727 is uh, the incredible percent of people that live in poverty and have lived in poverty for generations. And, um, man, I love grab and go. And I could tell you testimonies that have happened this week of lives impacted beyond stuff that was given away through grab and go this year. But one of the things that I think we have to get serious about, and by we I mean the church, and we have to get serious about, and by that we the village and the county, is we've got to change this. We've got to change that cycle. And one person can't do it, and one sermon can't do it, and one leadership can't do it. It's got to be an all-in type of deal. And yet I've shared that vision with some folks, and I've been received, uh, I've had chuckles come my way. I've had sarcasm come my way. I've had people say, it's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. Will you this morning consider what seems to be the impossible? What about that person in your world that you've prayed for, you've witnessed to, you've wanted to see come to faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe they've mocked you. Maybe they've said, it ain't ever happening. Maybe they've used terms like fairy tale or myth or hoax or uh, whatever. And you've gotten to the point to where you know, you're just done. You've been hurt enough, and you've just kind of written them off. Nothing is impossible with God. Consider the impossible. And then finally, will you conspire in the very most kingdom kind of ways. You know that Christmas song we sing later on will conspire as we dream by the fire, um, which I'd like to be by a fire (laughs) this morning, quite honestly. But what do you conspire about? Would you take time this week to conspire in the very most kingdom kind of ways? If I told you this morning that a 1,000 people could come to faith in the next month in Jesus Christ through First Christian Church of Clinton, what would you say? You may say, well, we don't even have a 1,000 people coming to church here. How could that ever happen? How could that be possible? Will you conspire in the very most kingdom kind of ways? If I were to say that we wanted to radically impact one of our monthly mission partners, say, take Barbo Donahue and the Cope Ministry in Africa, and we want to turn that whole world upside down in the very best 
kind of ways. Would you say, well, man, that's going to take six figures. That could never happen. Will you conspire in the very most kingdom kind of ways? Bottom line this morning, what I want to leave you with, nothing is impossible with God. Believe the impossible. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to gather. Thank you for the opportunity to be people of hope. Thank you for the opportunity to consider the seemingly impossible. God, you used an ordinary 15-year-old to change your world. You can certainly use us. Use us, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.